Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. My name is John Schumann from NBA.com. I am in Milwaukee. My man, main man, Sean Powell, is in L.A. today waiting out the Eastern Conference Finals to learn where he's going next week for the start of the finals. He's like the Golden State Warriors who finished off sweep of the Blazers on Monday with a 119-117 to overtime win, another comeback win in that series. Warriors are going to the finals for the fifth straight time. First team to do so since the 60s when there was only, I believe, nine teams uh, in the league when the Celtics made, I forget how many was, many straight trips to the finals. So that is a ridiculous accomplishment for the Warriors, but they're going to have to wait a little bit. Like Sean, they're going to have to wait a little bit to uh, figure out who they're playing because the Raptors have uh, even this series at two games apiece with a double overtime win in game three and then a more comfortable win in game four. We are back in Milwaukee. I believe it's Thursday, game day. Uh, we've reached the point in the playoffs where it becomes game four travel, game five travel, game six travel, game seven travel, and some of us lose track of the uh the days of the week and wake up in in our beds and wonder what city we're in. Takes a little time to figure those things out. Sean, any thoughts from the two games in Toronto with the Raptors looking alive, got their bench alive in game four, big games from Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet, and the Bucks maybe continue to struggle sort of in their half court offense. Seems like if they don't get some transition buckets, the offense becomes a little bit of a struggle for them. Well, I thought it was an unfair fight when you're, you know, you're playing six on five. You got five Raptors and a rapper you know, <laughs> going against Drake. So, uh, you know, we don't obviously that's a about, big, yeah, we don't have to talk about Drake's influence. <laughs> that's a big time home court advantage there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, look, I mean, I don't think we've seen any kind of consistency in this series yet. What appears evident one game is not so evident the next game. You know, you've got a guy like Marcus Hall who disappears and then reappears. And, you know, you've got uh, Giannis getting help and then not necessarily getting the help. So obviously the, you know, this is two out of three. And I think was it Pat Riley says that the playoffs don't begin until the home team loses. And, uh, you know, maybe then we'll, we'll find some rhyme and rhyme or reason to this thing right now. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan of that saying. It means that the Celtics won the 2008 championship only playing two series because uh, the home team won all seven games. I think in the first two series of that Celtics run. But yeah, I think you know obviously the Bucks are 
just happy coming home, knowing that they still have two games at home. But the the Raptors have maybe found something, found a little bit. You know, they uh, the one big difference or the one big adjustment that that they made in Game Three was assigning Kawhi Leonard to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think that helped. I think that had a, a definite effect on Milwaukee's half-court offense. Now, Leonard is not guarding Antetokounmpo on every single possession. And they are switching. The Raptors are switching. So if Chris Middleton comes and sets a screen for Antetokounmpo, somebody else picks him up. Or, you know, Pascal Siakam will, will switch. Or if the Bucks come down in transition, the Raptors absolutely have to match up with whoever's in front of them because transition threes have been an issue for them defending in uh, transition threes have been an issue for them. And so Leonard isn't necessarily guarding Antetokounmpo on possessions that start in transition either. But I think when he does, I think it it's just he's an a, elite defender and a guy who can stay in front of, of, a, of a player like Antetokounmpo and just make it difficult enough where the other Raptor defenders do not have to help as much. They can stay uh, a little bit closer tied to the buck shooters they are still showing help they're still you know sagging sagging when uh Antetokounmpo has the ball and when he makes a move to the paint and does a spin move there's a second defender there but his decision making is just a little bit more difficult with Leonard there and like I said the Bucks half-court offense I think has been a bit of a struggle and you brought up Marcus Gasol he was absolutely more aggressive in Toronto less hesitant maybe is the better phrase where if he caught the ball and he was open at the three-point line he shot it and that was huge. And he was, I believe, seven for 14 from three-point range in those two games. And then obviously the bench contributions were absolutely humongous in game four with Leonard having played 52 minutes in game three and being clearly hobbled by some sort of leg injury that the Raptors are not going to uh, disclose the details of. We're going to see, we'll see, you know, if he's any, if he's any more spry in game five, but he basically went like the first 10 possessions of game four without touching the ball. And Kyle Lowry knew that he was limited. And so Lowry sort of was more aggressive and the other guys joined in and the ball moved. And it was probably the best Raptors best game of the postseason considering the opponent. And so I think we will look forward to game five. I think we could have a lineup change from Milwaukee, possibly maybe Malcolm Brogdon back in for Nikola Mirotic with the Bucks returning to their old starting lineup. Brogdon gives them an extra ball handler, somebody who can push the ball in transition, give them maybe maybe a, an extra transition opportunity or two. And also in the half court, a guy that can attack Toronto's closeouts, obviously a lot better than Mirotic can. Brogdon gives them uh, a little bit more juice off the dribble. Sean, any th- thoughts on that? Yeah, I want to echo a couple things you said there with regards to uh, guarding Giannis with Kawhi Leonard. You know, you can't guard Giannis for more than maybe, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 minutes or so because he can't afford to get in foul trouble. And Kawhi is one of the smartest, as you know, he's one of the smartest, in addition to being very talented, but he's very smart. He doesn't really get in foul trouble. But if he were to get into foul trouble, and Giannis is very good at drawing fouls, spin move and going into the basket and with the long arms you know sometimes defenders can't help but to take a spike of the ball and they're getting risked that would be big time trouble for uh toronto the other thing is that toronto really doesn't have any kind of elite defender other than Kawhi. you know siakam really hasn't called out that reputation yet i don't know, know if he'll ever get there but he's he's a young player marcus Ole was an elite defender you know five years ago but obviously not so much anymore same for ibaka it's Interesting, we used to call him 
what, he blocked back when he was Oklahoma City. But he doesn't play that type of defense anymore. He doesn't really block shots like that. Danny Green, same thing. When you remember his defense on um, LeBron James and, and, you know, those finals days with the Spurs. And again, you know, some of the players on the, on the Raptors were good defenders years ago, not so much now. So I really don't think they had any other way to defend Giannis other than to really go at it, uh, you know, at, with, with, a, with a team concept. And, you know, you're going to have to hope that, he, you know, you get lucky and you miss some shots. You can never really stop uh, scores like him. You have to hope sometimes you just get lucky that the ball doesn't fall his way. The key is for Giannis to, you know, trust his teammates a little bit more when he's faced with those, you know, with the trapping defense. Chris Milton's got to make those shots. You know, Brompton's got to make those shots, particularly if he gets more minutes ahead of Meritage. And, and the, the Bucks have to become a little bit more well-rounded, provided that Giannis is, you know, gets kind of frustrated, you know, with, with the trapping. But again, you know, look, I think the teams have made adjust, adjustments throughout this series. That's why the games have been kind of staggered in terms of not really developing any flow. And the other thing you echoed on is Kawhi's physical state. I'm not so sure he's 100% right now. Oh, he's definitely you know, I not. Saw that. He's definitely not. Yeah. I, I saw that uh, that landing he had, and it kind of reminded me, you know, you know, I'm sitting, you know, I'm here watching, you know, the Warriors and the Blazers, and you see uh, Damian Lillard take a spill and get a shot in the ribs by Kevon Looney, and he was really never the same after that. I don't know to what extent that that hurt Lillard, just as I don't know what ex- to what extent that, that Kawhi is being hampered, but he's not 100%, and you're not getting you know, as you mentioned also, you know, you, you, you've reached a point in the finals, I mean, in, in this playoff series, where you're not getting, you know, a lot of rest. Uh, it's a travel day followed by a game. And, you know, Dane didn't have the luxury of a couple days between games. And obviously, Kawhi doesn't have the luxury of a couple, ga- a couple days between games. And remember, unlike Dane, who played a lot of minutes and was used to, you know, playing through, uh, any kind of knickknacks he might have had during the regular season. Kawhi was really on a games and a, and a minutes restriction during the season. So, uh, you know, when it comes to injury with him, it's just a little bit more heightened. And I'll be very interested to see, number one, how aggressive he is, uh, particularly offensively, and particularly going to the basket, and whether or not you can have someone like Kyle Lowry who can take up the slack a little bit, as he did in the last game, and just be a little bit more forceful and aggressive offensively, maybe even try to get, you know, 20, 25 points, whatever, just to, just to, you know, uh, ease the burden that Kawhi feels on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I think Lowry is definitely um, on an uptick as far as his confidence and sort of feeling himself offensively. And yes, Leonard is definitely not a hundred percent, but I do think that he still, um, there was, and there was, there was some possessions in game four. Like he looked like he was just taking the offensive possession off. In fact, there was a play where he was out on the left wing, just sort of standing there and somebody was on the right baseline and kicked the ball out to him. And he wasn't even like, it, it looked like he just wasn't expecting the pass. He just sort of didn't move, just lifted his arms, caught the pass and immediately threw it to somebody else without like engaging his defender whatsoever. But I do think he did look to get in. He still, it wasn't like he was just sort of, 
playing on the perimeter and shooting if he got it. And, and he, he looked to get in the paint. He looked, he looked to attack and, and he still drew the attention. And yeah, after the game, Giannis Antetokounmpo still said that we still want to get the ball out of Kawhi's hands. We'll, we'll let, we want the other guys to shoot it. Basically. I will say about your point about Toronto's defense that, no, they don't have, you know, no, they don't have any more defenders on the level of Kawhi Leonard, but all those guys are very good defensively and they have been very, they've been excellent as a team defense in this series. Um, I think the only guy in their rotation that could be a liability on that end of the floor is Norman Powell, just because he just falls asleep occasionally defensively. But otherwise, I think they've been terrific as a group defensively, as far as showing help on Anstacumpo, recovering out to shooters, rotating when they have to, closing out, and then also cutting off the paint. They've been fantastic, I think. And all those guys are very, like Gasol, Green, Lowry, Siakam, Ibaka, all very good defenders. Ibaka's energy, I thought, on the glass on both ends of the floor was really important in, uh, in game four. But we will see what happens in game five. That is tonight, Thursday, 8.30 p.m. on TNT. We've got some other news around the league. The, uh, the league is revealing the all-rookie, all-defensive, and all-NBA teams uh, this week. The first two are out. All-rookie first team, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Marvin Bagley III. It's the first time and since 1984-85 and second time in history that the top five picks were the first team all-rookie. Um, I think that we discussed this uh, this exact topic on this podcast several weeks ago. I think that was my first team all-rookie. Sean, was that was that your group or did you have somebody else? Well, one of the, the least surprising results in some time. Uh, <laughs> if you um, – look, I think there are five general managers who are thrilled with these selections, and those were the general managers who held the first five picks because usually if you go in, you know, in draft history, there's always one slug. <laughs> uh, you know, and maybe at the top, maybe not top five, maybe top six or whatever. But yeah, the, 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 there's usually one player who doesn't make the cut, doesn't end up in the league very long, or it just has a mild impact. But in this case, uh, you know, the the five general managers of the five teams in order basically got it right. Now it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next two, three, four years. Who among the pack? becomes the best player or maybe uh, you know num- you know on the second team someone becomes just as good if, if not better we don't know those things but I, I have a lot of confidence that those five players will have uh, long and productive NBA careers yeah I'm, I'm, I just went back it's like all right who's number six and it was Mo Bamba and I think okay well there's a inflection point maybe where we might see uh, eventually see yeah I, I don't think he got much of a shot uh, I think if you look at the numbers, the Magic were absolutely awful when Mo Bamba was on the floor, and it's not a coincidence that they sort of turned their season around once he, uh, I think, got injured and was ext- extracted. Once they extracted Mo Bamba and Jonathan Simmons from their rotation, they all of a sudden turned their Simmons, their season around, and I don't think that's a, a coincidence, really. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Mo Bamba number six um, going forward. I think that'll be an interesting point because you have some decent rookies that were picked behind him, Wendell Carter Jr., Colin Sexton, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And that's when we get to the second team. Second team is Gilgis-Alexander, Colin Sexton, Landry Shamit, Mitchell Robinson, and Kevin Herter. Going back to my second team, 
I had that exact second team. Wow. I, so the, the, the actual votes were the same as my exact actual picks, um, which I'm a little surprised at. I'm usually a contrarian to some uh, extent. But there we have you know two more lottery picks, uh, a couple second-round picks in Shamit and Robinson, and Herter, a, a later pick. But you know, obviously you've got a big opportunity to play in Atlanta with the way uh, the Hawks are trying to develop their kids. All these guys really got opportunities, but Gilgis Alexander, I think, is the is the special one in that he played for a playoff team. The only guy on these two teams that played for a playoff team, and you saw him plenty out there in L.A. Where do you think we end up ranking Gilgis Alexander in this in this draft, say, five years from now? That's interesting because he has a, a point guard as a coach, Doc Rivers, and uh, I think he'll get a heavy opportunity. But also, also keep in mind that the Clippers will need to sign a free agent this summer. I, I think they yeah. will. I don't know if they're yeah. a point guard. But, uh, well, actually, the Clippers had two members of that second team, and they both started, Shea Gildas Alexander and Landry yeah. Shamit. Yeah. They both started for a playoff team. And I also think Wendell Carter would have been on the team, you know, had he not gotten hurt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, maybe Mitchell Robinson or Kevin Herter owes their spot on there from uh, – from Carter getting hurt. But again, once again, uh, no surprises. Uh, these guys uh, had opportunity. You know, when you get drafted in a lottery, chances are you're going to go to a losing team and you're going to get playing time and you're going to get better stats and, you know, more opportunity than rookies who are on winning team. Of course, if you get drafted by a winning team, most likely you're getting drafted number 25 or 26 anyway. So it's pretty much a moot point. But uh, once again, you, you look at this second team and if you look at the second team, uh, members in NBA history, you'll find some that just basically just disappear. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 you know, but in this group, you know, look, look at the way Sexton uh, came on late to the point where what you saw Gilbert, the uh, the Cavs owner, when he was talking about the trade with the Celtics and Kyrie Irving, he basically said, "Hey, we, you know, we got the better of that trade uh, because basically it was Sexton for Kyrie Irving." So uh, look, he looked very good, although. I've got to say that the way he kind of started out, I was mildly disappointed. I thought he was going to be very good pretty much from the start when you basically get the ball and, you know, you again, you're, you're, you're the guy. But, look, sometimes we put a lot of pressure on some of these guys, particularly someone who plays point guard for a challenging position for a rookie. But I think he came through very well. And once again, um, I think he's going to have a pretty good career. I'm not so sure, you know, Mitchell Robinson is in a maybe a tough situation with the Knicks, although, you know, he showed a lot of promise. And Kevin Herter, again, here's a guy who, you know, played very well, came on late a little bit, groomed himself into a pretty good three-point shooter. And the Hawks are going to give young players ample playing time, at least for another year or two, until they get good. Yeah, Sexton, you, you, to your point, like, yeah, I was really down on down on Sexton in the first half of the season. I thought he was bad. Like, <laughs> he was not very good. Somebody with the Cavs told me that they thought he – he uh, he really improved once they traded for Matthew Dellavedova because Dellavedova was a guy who could come in and just teach Colin Sexton how to be a point guard because he had never like been a real point guard before as far as you know knowing the kinds of decisions that he has to make uh, handling the ball so much. Um, he cut down on his mid range shots. He he started to shoot better from three in that second half, and and I'm. I'm sort of definitely feeling a lot better about Colin Sexton in Cleveland than I was, say, back in December or January. 
Um, and yeah, Robinson is a, is an interesting project. He le- obviously he led the the league in blocks per 36 minutes, but also led the league in fouls per 36 minutes. And he's going to have to take those gifts that he has and learn to be disciplined with them, you know, and how to be a real defensive anchor and not just a shot blocker, you know, and that's a, a guy who try and a guy who just tries to block every single shot and then therefore gets in foul trouble or therefore allows his, the man he's guarding to get offensive rebounds because he's out five or six, seven feet from the basket, trying to block a shot that he can't really block. So we'll see going forward with these guys. I don't think there were any snubs. I think it's a really good draft class. You know, there was a couple guys that also got votes that, you know, maybe in another year could be first or second team, would be first or second team uh, all rookie. A guy like Rodion's Kuruks, a guy who played, who started for a playoff team, you know, didn't do, had have huge numbers, but was a interesting and versatile forward uh, for the Nets. Josh Kogi, I thought, showed that he could be, um, you know, an elite defender uh, with Minnesota. Mikael Bridges, you know, uh, has the potential to be a, a, a good 3 and D uh, forward for for Phoenix and like you said Carter Jr. probably makes second team I, I'm, I'm sure he would have been on my second at least first or second team if he stayed healthy I think he has huge potential as a two-way big man for the Bulls going forward but speaking of defense uh, the all defensive teams were announced on Wednesday first team is at center, Rudy Gobert. Forwards, Paul George and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Guards, Marcus Smart and Eric Bledsoe. Any thoughts on that group, Sean? Does that sort of jive with what you had? What's interesting is that you had two players who were defensive players of the year who were on second team. You know, Clyde Leonard. I'm sorry, uh, Draymond Green. Um, well, I guess one player, I guess. No, yeah, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So you had two players who didn't make the first team and uh, obviously, that caused some at least social media, you know, arguments. You know, and then everybody else is chiming in. I, I think the competition for forward was just fierce because yeah, absolutely, Giannis steps up and becomes uh, an elite defender this year. And I thought Paul George has had one of his better years as a defensive player. Uh, Paul George was in MVP running for you know a good portion of the year based on his defense as well as his offense. So that was just a tough draw for Kawhi. And of course, Kawhi didn't, you know, he didn't play enough games. Or you, I, don't, I don't know if the voters took that into account, that he didn't play enough games. Well, if he didn't play enough games, why did he make second team? But anyway, I don't know what the qualifications are, what the cutoff point should be. But I didn't have as much of a problem, although I'm a little surprised at Eric Bledsoe. Look, I know he's a good defender, but, you know, I thought Drew Holiday just had a, a terrific year as a defensive player. And the other thing, Shu, is it's really hard for voters to define who basically had the best defensive years. It's almost like it's if a you're voting one. on, yeah, if you're voting for the all NFL team and you got to figure out the first team offensive line, you know, <laughs> you, you have the tackles in the garden center. Are you really watching these guys? you know, every game to figure out their tendencies. Are you breaking down stats on, you know, how they're stopping the other guy? How many elite scores is he guarding one-on-one? All those things are very, very hard uh, to try to figure out. So everybody comes in with their own definition. And it's almost like some of those offensive guards or offensive linemen, some of them just make it on reputation, you know? Uh, So look, this is one of the hardest teams to try to, 
figure out who really deserves it. And the, 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 there is one player I just thought was just a, a complete oversight. I thought LeBron James had a great, great defensive year this year, and for some reason did not make the first team. Of course, are I'm you serious? Right now. Are you I, serious? Shoot, I'm just, shoot, I'm just <laughs> trying to figure out if you're still awake there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what, what is Sean doing here? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It is difficult. I mean, you can look at stats. Um, you can look at team stats. Um, steals and blocks obviously should not be the be all end all of defensive numbers. You have to watch some. Obviously, I think it's interesting that the three guys, the three front court guys on the second. We didn't say the second team. The second team is Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson in the backcourt, Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard at forward, and Joel Embiid at, at at center. And the interesting thing is that those last three guys that I mentioned, I think, have been maybe the three best defensive players in the playoffs, uh, Green, Kawhi Leonard, and Joel Embiid. Toronto could not score when Joel, Joel Embiid was on the floor in that series. So they, those, and, and even Clay Thompson's been a terrific defender in the playoffs. So I think it's um, Golden State, I think, was not as good defensively in the regular season. And so I didn't have Thompson on either of my teams. I had actually, my first team guards were Marcus Smart and Danny Green. And then my second team guards were Eric Bledsoe and Chris Paul because I thought, uh, well, obviously Bledsoe part of the you know a big part of the the number one defense in the league. And then Paul, I think Houston was just so much better defensively when he was out there. And then I also had Derek Favors in my second team uh, as a forward. You know him and and Gobert were a great tandem. And then Favors was actually a very great, uh, an excellent uh, rim protector um, when he was playing center himself. And I thought that was a huge part of uh, Utah's success. So, but I, I have, I don't really have any complaints about the, the team itself. Like you said, it's tough. Like you could say somebody was saying on Twitter and it, something that got retweeted quite a bit. It was like, Oh, the, you know, the magic had a really good defensive team and none of them got, you know, all defensive votes. And, and the guy said, but you know, I wouldn't have put any of, I'm not saying that any of them should have been first or second team, but they should have got votes. And I sort of agree with that. But at the same time, if you're saying that none of them should be on the first or second team, then you wouldn't have voted for either any of them, right? Like, cause you're only, you only get, you only get, you only vote for four guards, four forwards and two centers. And so you may say, Oh, Brooke Lopez should get some consideration for all defense. Yeah, sure. But he's not, I'm not voting for him over Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid. And so He's not going to, you know, he's going to look snubbed because, you know, well, because there was two obvious centers to pick ahead of him. And how does he not get, you know, so many, you know, how does he not get as many votes as so-and-so? It's because, you know, you only get two votes. Like, it's not like I get to list the top 10 guys and then, you know, uh, we only get two. I, I get the same thing with uh, with the GM survey in the fall. It's like, oh, how did John Wall not lit, end up on the list of best point guards? It's because because the GMs were asked to vote for one point guard, and no point guard, none, no, none of the thirty GMs thought John Wall was the best point guard in the league. That's just the way it happens. You know, it's just the way the votes go. And, and shoot, shoot, just one other thing about the all defensive team. I thought this year it was very challenging for defenders around the league because of the way the, the, the referees began calling games, you know, giving yeah. the offensive player, you know, more room. And I had a long talk with uh, Patrick Beverly about that. How does, does that make your job tougher? Uh, and, you know, he agreed. You know, yeah. some, some, some of these defensive players had to retrain the way uh, they play defense uh, yeah. because the rules are much more relaxed towards offensive players. You have to give them their space. But at the same time, you know, you're being asked to shut down some guys. And anyway, and by the way, I thought Patrick, 
you, you could throw Patrick Beverly's name among players who played very well in the playoffs defensively. So, um, yeah, if, if you had to basically come up with the all-defensive team during the playoffs, it could look completely different. Yeah, and and, there, and there's something – there's maybe a discussion to be had about whether some of these guys can get away with a little bit more in the playoffs than they do in the regular season as far as just contact both on and off the ball. And you know what? you got to play both ends of the floor, and I understand why some of these guys save their energy defensively in the regular season, you know, and and then they can turn it up in the playoffs when, you know, every possession means that much more when they have a little bit more rest days. So it is what it is. I don't think and, – and, and the other thing is when, when it comes time to discuss defensive player of the year – like a perimeter defender is totally different than uh, an interior defender. They have two completely different jobs. And I think the, you could have a guy on the perimeter who is a, a better defend defensive player than say a Rudy Gobert, but Rudy Gobert just makes such a huge impact because of his job. You know, the number one thing all defenses want to do is protect the basket. And so the bigs can be more impactful than the perimeter guys who may just be better, more skilled defense or defensive players. Yeah, and if you talk about playoff all defense, you, maybe you got to throw uh, an Andre Iguodala on there who probably doesn't get enough love in regard to all defense or sixth man of the year just because of over the course of the regular season. Yeah, he doesn't uh, he for six man he doesn't put up the numbers and then for all defense he probably doesn't play enough minutes. Yeah, he he basically takes the regular season off, which is <laughs> smart for him and obviously a luxury for the Warriors where they don't have to, you know, burn him, you know, through the regular season and then all of a sudden the playoffs comes alive and they, you know, they take him out of plastic wrap and uh, and release him. Uh, it's worked out that way to preserve him. And, you know, as you mentioned, his impact defensively for the Warriors during the playoffs, particularly when Kevin Durant went out. And Kevin Durant, by the way, is very underrated. And, you know, I was kind of a little surprised he didn't get any love. But, again, the way Iguodala played very well defensively, stepped up his game when Durant went out is one reason why the Warriors swept through the Blazers. Yeah, and, and speaking of Iguodala, I think he's going to, you know, he missed game seven. What was, the, what was his injury in game – no, it's not game – in game four against Portland? He had a calf. Calf injury. So calf strain. Yep. Yep. So the all this time off for the Warriors is critical for one the health of Durant, um, also with a calf injury, and two the health of Iguodala because he's going to have a big role in this next series, whether it's Toronto or Milwaukee. Um, he's going to be asked to play some defense at least on Kawhi Leonard or Giannis Antetokounmpo, and we're going to find out. Uh, in the next few days, which one of those guys is is getting to the finals. Um, we'll be back Monday either to preview a Game 7 uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals or to preview the finals because in the case where uh, the winner of Game 5 also wins Game 6. So come back uh, next week. Follow all our playoffs coverage on NBA TV and NBA.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do not forget to leave a review. Talk to you next time.